Welcome back to yet another episode of Rock and Roll History, the podcast where we stage dive headfirst into all the hits, misses, and often overlooked songs and stories throughout the history of rock and roll. I'm your host, Boogaloo Shrimp, but who cares? Come on, everybody. Let's go rock and roll. Before we get started today, I just want to quickly mention that I finally got the domain and website up and running. You can now find us at rockandrollhistory.com. I'm genuinely surprised that that domain was available, and I guess you can say I'm the master of my domain. I'll post all the info and show notes on the site, which also has each episode embedded in it as a streaming player. You can now also find us on Spotify, and we should be popping up on a few other podcast apps any day now. Uh, Also, I occasionally post up some extra content on the site that I do not always mention in the show, so be sure to check it out to stay up to date. Today's episode takes place on Monday, October 31st, 1938. The nation had just been swept into a frenzy by a CBS radio station's Halloween special from the previous night. It was called War of the Worlds and it was narrated by Orson Welles. His performance was so believable that people actually thought the planet was being invaded by space aliens. Also around this time, Time Magazine had just named Adolf Hitler as their Man of the Year. Now, before we start yelling fake news, the article states that Hitler was the greatest threatening force that the democratic, freedom-loving world faces today. And of course, Elvis Presley. Well, Elvis Presley was about three years old at this time, but him and his mom had just recently moved in with some relatives in Tupelo, Mississippi, as his dad had just been arrested and sent to serve eight months in a Mississippi state penitentiary for altering a $4 check. According to one of his cousins, little Elvis would sit on the porch and cry his eyes out for his daddy during this time. Getting into the story today, I just want to preface with saying how rock and roll's inception cannot be pinpointed to a single place or to a single person. It is a mishmash of many different types of musical influences. Whether it be rhythm and blues, ragtime, jazz, gospel, country, folk, boogie-woogie, swing, so on. It's safe to say that rock and roll has evolved from the vast array of American song styles that came before it. Now that being said, let's take a second and think about who we all consider to be the forefathers of rock and roll. Of course, as we do, we tend to think back to names like Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis, Chuck Berry, Carl Perkins, Elvis Presley... Well, these guys had to be influenced by something, right? Well, of course they were. So in today's episode, we'll talk about a single influence they all shared. And while we can't pinpoint the birthplace or put down a name as the one and only true creator of rock and roll, we can all certainly agree on the influence of this one single human being. And if you didn't see it coming, today's story is about sister Rosetta Tharp, the godmother of rock and roll. And if you haven't heard of her, don't feel bad. She was nearly written out of history. I mean, come on, we all know the authors of history aren't that cool. She was a badass black woman. Some suspect she had a same-sex relationship. A woman who ripped and rocked on the guitar and had vocals that some described as sounding like she was communicating directly with God? I mean, come on, she's too cool for school in history books. 
She's way ahead of her time and had an absolutely crucial hand in helping shapeshift music into the rock and roll sound that we all know and love today. So it's October 31st, 1938, and a 23-year-old Rosetta had just completed her first recording session. Elvis is three years old, and Chuck Berry is 12 and barely learning how to hold a guitar. But before we get there, let's roll back the clock a bit, set the record straight, and figure out where this one, Sister Rosetta Tharp, the godmother of rock and roll, really came from. Sister Rosetta Tharp was born Rosetta Newbin on March 20, 1915, in Cotton Plant, Arkansas. Her father, Willis Atkins, and her mother, Katie Bell Newbin, were cotton pickers. Not much is really known about her father other than him having a really good singing voice. Her mother was a skilled mandolin player, and she was also known for her great singing voice, but she quickly tired of the cotton picking life and decides to pack things up and become a traveling evangelist for the Church of God in Christ, taking her daughter Rosetta with her. The church was founded in 1894 in Memphis, Tennessee, by a Pentecostal bishop named Charles H. Mason. He encouraged members of the church to dance and express themselves musically in the name of the Lord, even allowing women of the congregation to sing and teach in the church. As a traveling evangelist with the church, her mother becomes known as Mother Bell, and this would be on the circuit where she would preach and perform. Mother Bell encouraged her daughter to play the guitar from a very early age, and by the age of four, young Rosetta started to show a prodigious level of musical talent. By the age of six, she began performing alongside her mother in the church's gospel troupe. They would bill her as the singing guitar playing miracle. She adapted her guitar style from playing along with her mother's mandolin and was influenced by musicians such as pianist Arizona Danes and the gospel blues player Thomas A. Dorsey. By the mid-1920s, Rosetta and her mother settled into Chicago, Illinois, where they would perform in religious concerts. They would still occasionally travel around the country and perform at other various church functions. At this time, black female singing guitar players were a rarity. However, Rosetta continued to gain popularity and was becoming pretty well known. An article from allmusic.com describes her unique style at this time to be blessed with a resonant vibrato. Both her vocal phrasing and guitar style drew heavy inspiration from the blues with a sense of showmanship and glamour unique among the gospel performers of her era. In 1934, at the age of 19, Rosetta ends up marrying a preacher from the church named Thomas Tharp. Uh, it was an arranged marriage set up by her well-intentioned mother. Rosetta and Thomas would perform together, with Thomas preaching and Rosetta doing the singing and guitar playing. Often, the two would appear in southern Florida, most frequently at the Miami Temple Church of God in Christ, where they, would, they started building up a following of radio listeners. Her mother was always standing by supporting her along the way. Despite the pair's success, the relationship ultimately leaves Rosetta unhappy, and the two soon divorce. And despite the separation, she decides to keep her newly acquired stage name, which is now Sister Rosetta Tharp. Because of her success, she had her sights now set on greener pastures, and she decides she needs to move. So she packs up her bags and heads out east to New York City, taking her mother, Mama Bell, with her. Sister Rosetta Tharp was now on her way to changing history. Upon arriving in New York in the fall of 1938, Sister Rosetta joins the cast of the Cotton Club Review, 
which headlined Cab Calloway and the dancing duo known as the Nicholas Brothers. She would also perform in venues like Carnegie Hall and the Apollo Theater. She would perform alongside some of the biggest acts in the country at the time, like Duke Ellington and Count Basie. It seemed like practically overnight she became an instant success. There's a very famous photo taken from this time by a guy named James J. Kriegsman, uh, and it's a picture of her smiling while playing her guitar. It's a great photo that encapsulates her essence, and it kind of sets the tone for her as an artist that would last throughout the rest of her career. I'll have it featured on the website. Make sure to check it out. So shortly after all this, the picture was then featured on the cover of a Mills Music songbook titled 18 Original Negro Spirituals. It included music notation for standard songs of the time, like This Train, My Lord and I, That's All, and I Look Down the Road and I Wander. With all her success, she lands a record deal with Decca Records, who sees promise in her act. So it's now October 31st, 1938, and a 23-year-old Rosetta records her first recordings, which would be the first ever gospel recordings Decca ever recorded. The songs she would record in this session became instant hits. Songs like That's All, My Man and I, The Lonesome Road. But the one song that would have the biggest impact from this session was a track titled Rock Me. And it was her version of the song Hide Me in Thy Bosom by one of her influences that I mentioned earlier, Thomas A. Dorsey. This would be her first single. The release of Rock Me caused a little controversy. The way she would stress the word rock would fluster some people. She would say, rock me, sort of as a double entendre. No one had really done this with gospel music before. The churchgoers couldn't believe that their little singing guitar playing miracle could do something as outrageous as sexualizing music and gospel music at that. The song was a hit and the one that would cross over the lines from gospel music into popular music. The song marks a shift in the type of music people would like to listen to and enjoy at home. The song would even be extremely influential to a young Elvis the Pelvis Presley who would rush home from school and eagerly wait to, with excitement to listen to Sister perform live on the radio. These early songs by Sister would influence Elvis to mix sexuality into his own blend of gospel music and rhythm and blues. Listening to the song today, it really doesn't seem all that crazy. But back in the day, it really was. It's because of her performance on this song that we have a lot of music that we take for granted for today. Rock Me is a definite turning point in music uh, that would forever change the way people thought about performing, playing, and just enjoying music altogether. So believe it or not, there would be even more controversy when she would go on to record a song titled I Want a Tall Skinny Papa with the Lucky Millinder Group which was a popular swing group at the time. With Tall Skinny Papa, there's no double entendre here. This was pure straight-in-your-face entendre. Uh, you know what she's saying, you know what she wants. The song was extremely shocking at the time. No one could believe what Rosetta was doing. However, no one, no one could deny her greatness. New fans enjoyed the exciting new music, while the old church fans focused more on her voice and guitar skills rather than the content of her lyrics. Here's an excerpt from the amazing BBC documentary about Sister Rosetta where a close friend of hers from the church explains her reaction to the song. I feel it captures how people were perceiving this at the time better than I could ever translate to you. The next thing I heard was this recording out of Rosetta with the tall skinny papa. 
So I said, it can't be Rosetta. So I went and bought the record. And after I listened to it, I said, oh, my goodness, sister's out there singing that stuff. It's a full hour-long documentary, which I highly recommend watching if this subject interests you. It's really well done, and I think you'd appreciate it. I'll link it in the show notes, and I'll have it posted up on the website. She would continue to tour with the Lucky Milner Group for a few years, traveling around the country in a tour bus. In the early 1940s, institutionalized racism was still rampant. Uh, Everywhere they would go, it would be segregated. All the restaurants, hotels, the venues, everywhere they went, they figured they were just better off on the bus. They had to get their food out of back doors of restaurants and eat on the bus. The bus had beds in the back so they could even have a place to sleep. Despite all this, Rosetta would never let any of this break her spirit, and she would continue on her path of success, releasing hit singles, playing sold-out shows. During this time, she would release a song called Strange Things Happening Every Day. This would be one of her most popular records and is frequently mentioned in the never-ending debate about what the first rock and roll song truly is. In 1946, while attending a Mahila Jackson concert in Golden Gate Auditorium in Harlem, New York, Sister Rosetta discovers a singer by the name Marie Knight. Marie Knight was new on the gospel and R&B scene and just released her first record. Rosetta became such a fan that two weeks later she shows up at Marie's house in Newark, New Jersey and invites her along on the road with her. The pair would go on to tour the country playing in arenas, churches, clubs, and auditoriums. They both complimented each other very well. The two would both sing and play their own instruments, Rosetta on guitar, Marie on piano and percussion. The two women could perform as their own band, which was unheard of at the time. Marie explained, sometimes the one-nighters and the traveling was a little rough, but on stage it was beautiful. The two would become wildly popular, and around this time would record their massive hit, Up Above My Head. This gospel duet is now known as a classic standard today. During this time, the two fell in love and became partners. People close to Rosetta described it as an open secret in the industry, but kept it hidden from the public due to the point of time it was in America. The two took control of their act and had a backing band. They started making their own business decisions, and these two lovers would perform on stage nightly to sold-out crowds across the nation. This was extremely radical at the time. By the 1950s, they would break up and sadly parted ways due to Marie having to return home from life on the road after two of her kids died in a house fire. Sister Rosetta's career would continue on but would gradually dwindle. By the mid-1950s, rock and roll was now picking up steam and all the kids that she inspired were putting their own spin on the music that she helped create. At this time, the songs in Rosetta's repertoire were commonplace. She didn't really keep up with the times and update her music, and her songs were practically viewed to be oldies. Despite this, her legacy will never be forgotten, at least by those who matter. People like Elvis loved Sister Rosetta Tharp. One of her backing band members, Gordon Stoker, is quoted as saying, her incredible guitar style is what attracted Elvis to her. Her singing he liked, but he liked her picking first because it was so different. Bob Dylan, said, when you see Elvis Presley singing early in his career, imagine he is channeling Sister Rosetta Tharp. I mean, her influence is undeniable. Heck, even Chuck Berry himself said his entire career was one long Rosetta Tharp impression. Let that sink in. Let's just take a quick second here to appreciate her guitar playing.
that's not rock and roll then i don't know what is bob dylan was also quoted as saying it's not an image i think we're used to thinking about when we think of rock and roll history we don't think about the black woman behind the young white man and it's true i'm happy to see that sister rosetta tharp's story is now becoming more well known today it's up to us to document and take notes and share her legacy so that she has her rightful place in history saying she's important is an understatement I hope this podcast helps pique your interest and inspire you to do your own research. As always, I find if I got anything wrong, feel free to send me an email at rnrhistorypod at gmail.com. I will make the correction. No shame. I want to set the record straight here, and I want to let people know the true story of rock and roll and its trailblazing godmother that cleared the path for generations of musicians to come. Before we end this episode, I want to send you off with a quick little story and song from a concert sister played in England with Muddy Waters that took place inside an old abandoned train station. It began to rain right before her set, so she changes her first song to Did It Rain. She then plugs in her guitar despite the risk of electrical shock and then goes on for one of, and has one of her most famous performances of all time with a song called This Train. It's an emotional scene with her singing up to the heavens, rainwater and tears dripping down her face, and I think this is the perfect end cap to her story. A legendary performance for a legendary woman. Some musicians who were in attendance of this concert were people like Morrissey, Joy Division, some of the Buzzcocks. It just goes to show how her influence not only transcends genres, but it transcends generations and time. She's timeless, so let's not let time forget who the real deal is. The godmother of rock and roll, maybe one of the most important people of all time, Sister Rosetta Tharp. So that concludes another episode of Rock and Roll History. I hope you enjoyed it today. Um, yeah, I just really think that we should focus on Sister Rosetta. She's very important and should definitely be remembered. And you need to remember to keep on rocking and rolling! <laughs>